Hey, podcast listener, if you're a golfer, you're about to learn how to improve your game dramatically by focusing on the most important aspects required to play the best golf possible. If you want to learn more about this podcast or access lots of other great golfing content, head across to huntingscratch.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hunting Scratch Golf Show. I'm your host, Jake Howard, and today we're delving into the realm of stats and statistics in golf. Now, we're speaking to Richie Hunt, who wrote a book called Pro Golf Synopsis. He does it every year, which analyzes the tour statistics that are available, and he actually puts it to use in how tour players can play the game better, and certainly it crosses over to amateurs as well. So uh, he's also a writer for GolfWorks or Golf WRX, whichever it is. I usually say Golf Works, um, which is where I first saw an article that he wrote. And I was really interested in it. So um, I picked up the book and found it really readable and some of the insights in it really valuable as an amateur golfer. And I've changed my game because of it. So I thought I'd get him on the show and um, discuss a little bit about the different aspects of the statistics and so some insights that he's uncovered and how they apply to a golfer's game or the different parts of a golfer's game. So we'll do now. Let's get stuck straight into this interview. I hope you enjoy it. And uh, yeah, sit back and listen and let's get stuck in. Welcome back, listener. I'm your host, Jake Howard, and today's guest is Richie Hunt. Now, Richie, um, you are someone who will be uh, hopefully familiar to some of our, uh, our listeners, but I uh, first uh, read an article you wrote for GolfWorks uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and why don't you explain for our listener what you do? Yeah, sure. I provide uh, advanced analytics in the game of golf. So it goes beyond traditional metrics like greens and regulation, fairways hit, putts per round, scrambling percentage, and it actually delves a little bit uh, more into a more advanced uh, mathematical uh, formulas and uh, research about the game to develop a variety of different parts of the game as far as measuring performance, also understanding where your strengths and weaknesses are, and also understanding where strokes are most likely to be gained or lost and as well as uh, strategy on the golf course. I have created the book uh, Pro Golf Synopsis, which is in the fifth edition, and uh, I currently work with four different PGA Tour players, and I've worked with, in some capacity, about 35 uh, different PGA Tour players, uh, their coaches and caddies on tour. What got you into this? Uh, well, I started really at, at a young age. I, uh, my first love was, uh, baseball and yep. baseball is a very, uh, statistically oriented sport. It's been that way for, uh, over a hundred years. They even have pretty in-depth statistics in baseball dating back to the 19th century. So I started reading everything I could on baseball. I love playing baseball. And I would collect baseball cards, and they would have the statistics of each player on the back of the baseball card, and I would remember them and, uh, you know, collect them every year. And then when I was 11 years old, I uh, started to uh, play golf. And about that time, I started reading a book called Historical Baseball Abstract, which was written by Bill James. Uh, If you know anything about the movie or the book Moneyball, that's exactly what it was uh, 
based off of, it was based off of Bill James's work. And for years, I wondered about, you know, there's got to be a better way. You can understand some of the issues with traditional metrics in golf. For example, let's say uh, putts per round. A lot of people look at that for putting. But the issue of that is, is if you miss greens and then chip close, you're going to have likely a lower uh, putts per round, even though yeah. somebody else might be a better putter, but they're putting from further away. So, you know, I was looking for something like that for quite a while. I developed my skills as a golfer, became one of the best junior golfers in the state of New York, played college golf, graduated with college from a, with a degree in marketing with a minor in applied mathematics. And uh, after I graduated from college, I quit the game for about eight years. And in 2009, I decided to get back into the game. Big reason why I quit the game is because I become a little bit disillusioned with the ambiguity ambiguity of the game of golf. And so I kind of got back into the game saying, I'm going to try to figure out pretty much in every detail, find every expert I could find in just about every part of the game and put it on a blog. And that way I can get a kind of a conversation going, meet new people uh, and create new ideas and uh, do enough research. And, you know, my blog is still very uh, oriented towards uh, golf improvement. It's not really kind of mainstream golf improvement. It's not about how tight you should grip the club or how far away you should stand for the ball. Uh, so a lot of the uh, videos and stuff I research on is more, I guess, tucked away in a little bit of a corner and it's trying to get out as far as exposure. Mm. So, you know, and Peter Kroger is a good example. I studied some of his videos as well. So eventually 2000, I think it was about 2000. 11, I was speaking to uh, my friend Mark Sweeney, who is the uh, founder of Aimpoint, uh, Aimpoint reading yep. system. And he's also a big analytics guy. And he knew that I was a statistician in my real job. And, uh, you know, he said, you know, you should really kind of check out the statistics on the uh, PGA Tour website. And, you know, you can do your own analytics. I think you'd be good at it. So, that's what I did. And I started to, and I did it mostly just for my own benefit to just kind of figure out where to practice. I kind of had three goals when it came to learning this. I wanted to figure out where are the most strokes gained or lost typically on the golf course for people. And then I wanted to figure out strategy wise, how to play certain holes. And from there, I also wanted to figure out how to measure my own performance. So I could sit, hmm. sit there and say, okay, Driving is good, you know, iron play is a little bit poor. And so I started to research this and I started to post these, uh, my findings on my blog. And I had more and more people, my readers were really interested. And uh, so from there, I printed out a book called 2011 Pro Golf Synopsis, which is I gave out for free. And uh, I just put it on the internet and started working with my first PGA Tour client, a gentleman by the name of Dana Summerhays. Worked with him and his uh, caddy, Nick Jones. And from there, I just kept on advancing pro golf synopsis. Uh, it looks a lot different than it is now. And I, you know, I do a lot of research and discover new things about the game. And uh, I work with more tour players, but I also help out college teams, uh, equipment companies, uh, LPGA players, uh, web.com players, and the sort. Yeah, it's brilliant. I, I um after reading the GolfWorks article, I I went and purchased um, 2015 Pro Golf Synopsis, and 
what was very impressive for myself is that while I do like getting into sort of the details of the numbers, I can find them quite dry, but that certainly wasn't your book. I think it's really well written um, and it's very, it's very readable, very consumable. So um, I think you've done a really good job of not just interpreting the numbers, but actually putting together something which is, I, I would say, an enjoyable read for anybody. Thank you. Uh, you know, I was always, you know, it's part of a goal with any really type of instruction. I mean, if you look at something as far as swing instruction, you know, the, you can get into different types of torques and anatomical movements, but yep. if your player doesn't understand them, then uh, it doesn't really do you much good. But I always try to draw a fine line between being detailed enough versus trying to be too layman and your terminology because you know i always kind of look at it like if i am teaching future surgeons on how to perform surgery there's just going to be some stuff that you're going to have to be a bit detailed on you just got to figure out a way to make it so they can understand it and yep. the thing applies with statistics but you know i've always found statistics for me to be fun uh and i think a lot of people would enjoy them. Uh, I get a lot of compliments from people that tell me they're not math people, but they they, uh, enjoy my work because it uh, opens their eyes and it's easy to understand. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's um, let's break down the different parts of the game and how our listener, who is who's most likely an amateur golfer looking to get good, let's break down parts of the area of the game and, and let's look at some, I guess, insights that you've been able to uncover through looking at all these stats. So why don't we start with with off the tee. Um, so in obviously this is an area driving, I guess, is an area that you've, you've focused a lot of the attention on in the book. Yes. Uh, you know, the old adage is that you drive for show and you putt for dough. Uh, not only have I discovered this, but other analytics people have discovered that it's more of the opposite. Driving is actually mm. very important. And what I've found is for when the handicap starts to get higher, driving as far as permanently improving your handicap and drastically lowering your scores, improvement in driving is what will drive it as far as lowering your scores go. So a lot of people, what they think is they think that it's all just about hitting the driver more accurately and more consistently. And that's certainly a part of it, but distance is also a big factor as well. So if you can increase your club head speed over time, uh, you're actually more likely to lower your scoring. And one of the big things I I'd found out that really surprised me was Driving's biggest influence is actually on putting. And what I mean by that is, if you look on tour, especially, a lot of the successful players that hit the ball very long are tend to be poor at putting. Uh, there was a correlation between the uh, driving distance on tour and length of your average birdie putt when you hit the green. So... If you hit the ball long as Bubba Watson does, you're likely to have a shorter average length birdie putt than, say, a shorter hitter like uh, Tim Clark. Why is that? Well, most of that is due to the par fives because a guy like Bubba is going to play them more like a uh, a par four. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to get those shorter birdie putts there. And then there's also uh, 
just some really long holes, like long par fours that are, you know, close to 500 yards. And, you know, that Oakmont par three that's coming up, that's going to be about 300 yards. At least some guys have a chance to (laughs) get it there. So, you know, if you got shorter length birdie putts, you can be effectively worse in skill, but still, as far as your score goes, your overall score goes, you can actually do a little bit better. So, you know, I think it's one of the things that your average amateur tends to uh, underrate. And they think that if you're hitting it further, you're going to be automatically less accurate, which really isn't true at all. So that's the big thing with with driving is obviously you want to improve, you know, hit more fairways and be more consistent, but you also need to really factor in the importance of uh, gaining club head speed. And that's, you know, that's something that most people, it's funny because a lot of people disagree with that, but then they go on the range and then they're always practicing with the driver. So they're kind the of, driver, yeah. they're kind of on the same, they're on the right path. They just kind of need to figure it out a little bit better. The other thing with driving too, little pointer is if you're going to have if you're likely on your second shot to have a five iron or longer into the hole even if it's on a par five or a par four try to take out driver uh if it's feasible but you know focus more on making good contact and finding that fairway instead of hoping that you can you know really give one a big rip and possibly gain you know 20 yards because when you start to get to those longer clubs, even for the tour players, if you find the rough, scores jump up drastically than if you found the fairway. Those two points there were, um, they certainly resonated with me. And I, yesterday I was playing, we've got a decent course down here to play on Moon Links. And the last few weeks in the competition, we've been playing off uh, blue tees. And this week we played off white tees, which is in terms of yardage, it's about 400 yards short of the course. But that change in distance changed some holes completely. Like it basically brought in going for the green on par fives versus on, on off the blue tees uh, with my length, you really had to um, lay up. And so you can see there that one thing about uh, distance uh, certainly ha- um, helps. So it definitely does help because if you can go at four par fives, there's potentially four strokes that, you, um, that you've dropped off there um, you, by, by, by being longer off the tee. Um, and the other thing, um, as you said, is that uh, if you've got a, a five iron or um, or less um, with your second shot, find the fairway. That resonated very much with me yesterday. Now, on a couple of the par fives, I leaked the ball out to the right, and so I had a um, a three wood from the rough in both instances if I was to go for the green, and I just didn't have good lies. I just couldn't, I couldn't actually, I still took out the three wood because of another reason um, um, in your book, but I, I realistically, I didn't have a shot and I shouldn't have, shouldn't have played the three wood um, in any of those occasions. So there, they really resonated with me, which I thought was interesting. What about laying up versus taking out the driver? You know, you see on tour, a lot of people will take out like a three wood or, or yesterday, um, Jason Day on the, the first or on the 10th, which was his first hole, had to, had his driving iron out. What would you say with taking out the driver versus laying up on holes? Well, the general, I have two kind of bullet points when it comes to strategy. And the first one is that, Better strategy, if you look at the numbers behind it, golf is more of an offensive game than a 
defensive game. Yep. So, and I always say, you know, you're better off. I look at laying up. There's nothing wrong with laying up per se, but I look at that as the very last option. And the second bullet point is to that is when it comes to strategy, you really have to gauge and play for the results coming off your average swing. My friend Scott Fawcett, who's a big strategy guy, uh, he says it best. It's it's not a sniper's rifle precision. It's a it's a shotgun mm. pass. And what that means is, you know, I can kind of tell where the most likely outcomes are going to be uh, if I just take a, an average pass at the ball. What the lower handicaps tend to do is they tend to play for their absolute worst swing. And they don't understand that just because you're laying up doesn't mean that you're automatically guaranteed to find the fairway. Uh, I, yep. I, I played a tournament last week where my playing partner, he kept on hitting three wood off the tee and he and I were pretty close. We finished second together at the end and, you know, he gets up on the 17th hole and, you know, I knew that if I just took a, an average swing for me, I would likely be in the fairway or in the rough and he played for his worst swing. He had three wood and, well, he hit, took a bad swing with his three wood and put it in the fairway bunker. I put mine right down the middle and I made birdie, he made bogey. So that kind of evened things up a bit. One of the great sports psychologists I've talked to, especially with golf, a guy named Dr. Brett McCabe, he says, you know, you got to try to focus on success instead of focusing on avoiding failure. You know, you got to think about what, in a perfect ideal world, what, what type of shot would you want to hit? So you sit there and say, okay, well, I've got this. Sh- this isn't a hard shot for me. I want to hit this ball a little bit of a draw right down the middle. That's, and then you just go out and do that. Nothing else should matter. Uh, versus what a lot of people do is they sit there and say, oh, uh, I don't want to go right. I don't want to go left. I don't want to go in that fairway bunker. And then what they've really done is they divided their attention. Uh, between the two, but also statistically what they've done is they've uh, made their next shot uh, harder and they're kind of running out of shots to make par. So uh, let's say you hit three wood off the tee and now you've got 180 yards, whereas into the hole, instead of having 130 yards, if you hit driver, you've got to pretty much hit that second shot pretty well in order to just make par. Whereas if you hit driver and you might go into the rough or into a fairway bunker, if you only have uh, 130 yards in the green, you don't have to hit as great of a shot to still make parts. Great golf is an audacious endeavor. You have to really think you can hit shots that most people don't think you can hit. You can't play great golf unless you hit great shots. Yep. If you just avoid bad shots, you might play a decent round, but you will never play a great round of golf. So it doesn't exist. From my research over the last 12 months, I've been playing about 12 months now. And my coach has always said, no, you get as close to the hole as possible. But um, as I was doing more and more research, a lot of people were talking about, you know, laying up to a to a full swing club length on a par four if it's a short par four. Like, you know, maybe it's something like 100 yards or 120 yards. And so I'd, I'd, I'd play a little bit more defensively and I'd take out an iron on some tee. So I was playing out to a, a full swing club length. And every time I did it, Pete would say, no, take out the driver and get it as close to the hole as possible. 
And I, I didn't necessarily agree with Pete until I started reading the pro golf synopsis where you sort of back that up with, with the irons. Now, why, why is that? You know, I've looked at this with amateurs of all handicap levels as well. I believe I've got 10,000 shots recorded from amateurs all the way up to the uh, mini tour player level. Yep. And then I got all the PGA tour data, but consistently it just shows that closer people are to the hole, regardless if it's a par four, par five, par three, in general, they're just going to hit their next shot closer to the cup. You know, and there are some rare exceptions, but you know, a lot of those exceptions tend to actually occur at the highest level where like, mm. uh, like on the PGA tour where like number 10 at Riviera, which is a really short par four and you have to, and it's, it's kind of a screwy little green and they have to hit the ball short enough, but it's because they need to get enough spin to get the ball yep. to hold. If they don't, the ball won't hold, you know, it's a rare exception. And, uh, the only other time is, uh, laying up, generally on par fives in particular, tends to be on back pin locations with a long green. For instance, you can go, and I show it in the book, there's one hole where this is, it's a pretty long green. It kind of runs diagonally and they like to put the pin in the back left location. And it's very easy to hit your second shot on that par five into the right bunker. And if you got a long bunker shot, you know, that, that can be problematic. You know, bunker kind of makes it a whole new ball game. But, uh, you know, again, it's it's more of the exception than the rule. Yep, absolutely. I, I think one thing that I, I guess thinking about it more after reading and getting out on the course, sort of it does, It's I guess it's more of a misnomer or more of a, a comfort thing. Like I'm, I'm more comfortable playing a – a full swing wedge than I am trying to hit a, a 50 yard sort of f- finesse shot. But, you know, so I think in my mind, I'm like, I'd prefer to hit it from a hundred, but yeah, it backed it up. Like what you uncovered through the stats really did back it up. I was definitely putting from closer from a 50 yards shot with a bad swing. Even I was still putting, putting closer than what, what it was from a hundred. You could, you know, theoretically, if your money yardage is from 90 yards, yeah, you can stick some from, you know, to a couple feet, but, you know, you're not always going to take that good swing. Yeah. And we're trying to play for our average swing, and you might not take that good swing a few times and they have, you know, a 40-footer or, you know, one that misses the green and ends up in real trouble, whereas if you had 40 yards into the hole, you know, you – uh would not only on average be closer, but your deviation would be less. So, and you know, yep. one thing about all the statistics and the numbers is generally deviation kind of rules the roost. You know, you're always going to have some deviation, but it, the players on tour, especially, you know, when they're deviating less in their performance and they're uh, not missing, you know, the target by quite a bit, those are the guys that tend to perform the best as far as ball striking on tour. Yeah. So if if you're you're Jordan Spieth and you've just put a hole uh, the the ball into the water on twelve at Augusta, would you tell him to go back and play his dropped ball from eighty yards again, or would you say drop it from the drop zone? Well, you know, I mean that could situation they were talking about how it's it's really soft over there, and that's kind of that rare exception where you get to that high level of golf and where spin be kind of becomes more of a, a factor. And yep. most amateurs don't have 
that ability to uh, dictate that much spin on the ball. Uh, in fact, yeah, I mean, a- amateurs are almost, especially with their wedges, are getting uh, almost half the spin rate that, you know, the top mm. spin rates that the tour players are getting. So from that situation, I mean, I would have probably taken him from the drop zone. Uh, it would have been best really there would have been a, to have played to the uh, back of the green on his tee shot right over that bunker in the middle. And then he wouldn't have to worry about that problem. So. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So um, with, with irons, what area of iron play is going to get the best results? Like if, if I was to focus on improving my iron play, what part of my iron play is going to yeah, improve my results? Mostly your uh, long iron play. Yep. Uh, you know, anything from, I'd say, you know, a free iron or hybrid to a six iron. In the book, we talk about it called the red zone. For tour players, it's 175 to 225 yards, but they play longer courses. You know, they're playing 72 to 7,500 yard courses for your regular amateur. You know, if you get down to say 6,500 yards, you're probably looking more at uh, shots from like 140 to 190 yards, or maybe closer to you know 160. You don't 200 around there. It depends on the length of the course. And I had a chart that explains uh, based on the distance yards you're playing. But yeah, I mean, with longer iron approach shots, you just had, it's one of the things that I always wondered about because you would get a lot of theory that saying, well, you're hitting your wedges and your short irons more often, so you should practice them more. But with a longer iron, those shots tend to count much more. Uh, and because let's say if you if you have 200 yards into the hole and you uh, hit one shot and you hit it say 30 feet on the green versus another shot that you hit say 60 feet and miss the green, uh, that's a dramatic difference as far as what your potential outcomes are going to be. And one of the things I discovered. I did a little bit of research on this a few years ago. There was a player who was dead last from that red zone, 175 to 225 yards on tour. And somebody asked, well, what would be the difference if they went from last to the average in the red zone? And the projection came up to be about, uh, they would improve their scoring average by about, 0.45 strokes per round and that doesn't seem like much but that could jump them up to about anywhere from like 40 to 75 spots on the money list which is a lot of money so it is yeah yeah so i mean it's just it goes to show you how much you know the longer approach shots uh matter and you just as far as for the amateurs you know they can have a hundred yard shot hit it badly and be left with a 50 yard shot where they have 200 yard shot and hit it badly. And now they could be left with a 150 yard shot. So it's mm. one of the things that's called, uh, it's called fractional remaining length, which is divides what you had left off your previous shot. So, you know, if you can, you know, lower that, that's, that's a good thing that that'll mean better strokes overall. So, you know, that's why those long approach shots are just so important. 
Yeah, it, it does. And I, I think that's probably also another one. Um, as you say, the, all people say, I've got the, the, the wedge book at the moment. So if you have a 50% of your shots for in a short game, why wouldn't you focus on the short game? But then really thinking about it, well, if I've got a, a 50 to 100 yard approach shot, it's most likely um, where I'm playing. It's, it's most likely because I've played a really bad long line. And you know, I've topped a long iron or something like that. So yes, while it's true, I do have a lot of you know fifty to hundred yard shots. It's only because I've played such a bad approach shot. Well, yeah, one of the things talking about on Golf WRX forum was how um, they were talking about chipping, and they were talking about how you never see tour players uh, use like an eight iron to chip with. But the reason why is because in order to use an eight iron to chip with you would have to be, you would barely miss the green, but you would be a long way from the pin. Yes. And tour players usually aren't doing that. It's really, it's one of the things if you go to a tour event, is you could see it, or if you just look on shot trackers, these guys are really going after the pin quite a bit. Uh, yep. If you don't look at missing a green as a death sentence, you can actually score a lot better. And this is kind of where one of the things that I, really drove me to these statistics is I remember seeing uh, Jonathan Bird shoot 67 and he hit seven greens. And I saw Rory shoot 65 once with 10 greens. And you kind of wonder how these guys are doing it. And you see a lot of guys that are chipping in a lot, but it's also because what they don't show is that if they miss, they're missing close and they're missing in a, in a spot that's makeable up and down, if not being able to chip in. And they also tend to hit these par fives and two, which is a really big boost. It almost guarantees you're going to have a, a birdie. So that's how they can go out and shoot such a low score and not hit a lot of greens. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So with the short game, if I was to put in a, a few hours a week into into the short game, not not on the on the putting green, but sort of literally just on the short game, what should I be focusing on? I would generally focus on shots from. 10 to 20 yards. That's where the biggest difference tends to happen. And yep. I would probably split it between time in the rough versus time yep. in the bunker. For most amateurs, they probably need a little more time in the bunker. Uh, the bunker tends to give them a little bit of trouble. That's pretty much the basics of it. Uh, if you feel like you're hitting the ball well on the par fives and your putting's okay, and you, but your par five scores aren't that great, I would probably start to work on your uh, short game from 20 to 30 yards because that's what mm. those shots are tend to happen. So if, if you go for a green more often. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so th- that's really it's it is literally just around the green, isn't it? It's just just chipping around the fringes and around the I guess probably the first cut of rough. Yeah, well, one big thing I, I guess is that if you're finding that yeah you, your short game you you're more hitting out of the 30 or 40 yards. It's kind of like, well, okay, well, there's probably a look, look to the reason why that's actually happening. And it's probably, as you said, it's the approaches, it's the, the, the long irons that's causing that to happen. Uh, you can get on a long par four, per se, and, yep. you know, you miss the fairway off the tee. And so now you got a 200-yard shot into the rough. And, you know, you try to hit it pretty well, but it's on the rough. So then you miss the green but you, and you also short side yourself and you know you got a kind of a delicate chip shot and you hit one okay but you 
leave it, you know, eight feet by and then you miss the putt, a lot of people tend to blame the short game, but really where they needed to start to blame was, was the drive. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's, it's interesting as a, the, the way the human mind works because you, you do, you've, you've got selective memory. It's, it's probably my reasoning for thinking that, you know, I, I like to, to lay up to a hundred yards. It's because maybe in uh, maybe one shot around, I might hit a good shot from that distance where, you know, you'll end up inside 15 feet from the cup and I might end up having four or five shots from around that distance. And what I, what I don't remember is, the other shots, which weren't anywhere near as effective, but I remember that good one. And so therefore the next time I come out, I'm thinking, well, that, that's it. I want to lay up to that distance because that's where I'm good from. Well, yeah, I mean, we, uh, I was talking to this to one of my clients a month ago, we were talking about it. And I said, you know, it's, it's funny because golfers will remember when something works for somebody else they played with yeah. and they'll remember when it didn't work for them but they won't forget the opposite of when it didn't work for the other guy that they were playing with and when it did work for them. So, mm. uh, What about putting? Is there anything sort of, I guess, what does your your research show in, in putting? Yeah, I mean, uh, putting the big thing is distance-wise is mainly from about 3 to 15 feet. That are, that's yep. the biggest determinants between who putts best on tour versus who putts worst. And once you get outside 15 feet, it's a little bit of a, a potluck. Uh, you see guys on tour, especially, they will rank really well. And outside of 15 feet one year, and then the next year, they'll actually rank poorly. And it doesn't make a difference how well of a putter they are overall. It's just, there's it just so much luck that's involved with it. Uh, so, but, you know, what separates them is from inside 15 feet. And even more to the point, probably more like five to 15 feet. And and unfortunately, they don't have a lot of information as far as how far past the cup or short of the cup players hitting it to. Mm. But we do see some uh, information that shows that guys that uh, tend to miss a little bit long of the cup tend to putt better overall. And the other thing we're starting to see a little bit of is that the best putters on tour or guys that happen to putt, you know, in an event better than they normally do tend to make about an even amount of uh, percentage of putts that are right to left versus left to right. Uh, so they don't have like a weakness. Yeah. Yep. Uh, which is really big. So that's one thing that I really practice on my own putting is uh, I always get out there and I give myself some left to righters and right to lefters and try to, you know, make them, but try to figure out, if I'm not making them, what's going on with that? What's going on? Yep. Yep. So what about, um, I say, so outside of 15 feet, what should your goal be? Are you still far? Are you still trying to hold, hold a putt or is there something else which is probably more important? Well, yeah, you're definitely trying to hold a putt. Uh, yeah. Uh, one of the things I've written about in a previous uh, pro golf synopsis is something called loss aversion. Uh, it was a big study done by some economists that uh, wanted to see if there was loss aversion in golf. And what that means is, in golf terminology, it means that you have more of a bias towards avoiding bogey or making a birdie. So, and poor players, by and by and large, they are they're making a higher percentage of uh, par and bogey putts than they are birdie putts from the same mm. distance. 
So uh, one of the things I saw in my research that expanded upon that was when tour players get outside of 20 feet, that's when they really start missing these birdie pups short of the hole. So you kind of have to force yourself and figure out a way to uh, not come up short of the hole if you got a putt, a birdie putt longer than 20 feet because your yep. your brain's natural instinct is to kind of leave it short. Yep. <clears throat> and above and below the cup, what's better? Studies that I've seen below the cup is, is generally much better. One thing, caveat to that is, you have a straight downhill putt. I mean, it's got to be almost dead straight. Those are very easy to make, but if you have any type of curvature to it, it's definitely uphill putts are easier. Mm. Yep. Yep. Uh, that's fantastic. That's great. Now, um, one thing which was really interesting for me uh, was um, in the book was reading about uh, firing at pins and, and understanding which pins you should be firing at and you've you've created a, a bit of a scoring system around that. I think it was fifteen five, was it? What um what is this? And um, it's it's probably hard to sort of detail out in the, in the podcast. So we'll just talk about it here. And what I'll do is I'll include the scoring system on this post on the website. So you, if if you're listening to this and you're um wondering about how you could go about using the scoring system, then that's we'll include it uh, on this post here with with Rich's permission, of course. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the 15-5 score was something I came up with to get golfers more into the mindset of getting the ball close to the hole instead of thinking about hitting greens in regulation. You know, it's one of the things I, I struggled with at one point. But uh, when you start to get to the point where you can only shoot, let's say, below par, if you ha- but you have to hit – 15, 16, 17 greens to do it, uh, there's a disconnect between what you're, what you need to do to shoot really good scores. So I came up with a scoring system based on how close your shots are to the hole. So if you have a birdie putt that's inside 15 feet, you give yourself two points. If you have an eagle putt inside 15 feet, it's three points. And if you don't have either of those, but you have a par save inside five feet, you give yourself one point. And kind of yep. the logic behind that is if you fail to get it close on your birdie, at least you've given yourself a good chance of saving par because if you're inside five feet, your percentages to make that par are pretty good. Mm. But if you're not, if you don't have a par save inside five feet, you take away three the way it works is you give yourself one score per hole. So let's say you have a 12 foot birdie putt, you miss it and you got two feet tap in for par. You just only get two points and that's yep. because of the birdie putts inside. The birdie putt. Now, one of the things I always get, I get asked on is let's say I have a 30 foot birdie putt and I miss it and I've got six feet for the par save. That would you would lose three points on that because you didn't mm. your it doesn't make a difference that you hit the green. It, it's all about and that's one of the things you'll you'll find with this is that there are you know part of it can be blamed on putting, but a lot of times as far as three putts go, your three putts can be a lot of times be due to your ball striking instead yep. of your actual putting skill. I mean, 
that's one of the things you see at Augusta inside 20 feet. They actually, the make percentage is actually pretty high compared to the tour average, but outside 20 feet, the three putt percentage is, is really high. You can make putts at Augusta, but if you've got, you know, 50 footers due to uh, poor approach shots, you're likely going to three putt. So, mm. and I, you know, that's just basic concept of the 15 five score. I find yep. that for, 7,000 yard courses, pretty much in general, it kind of works for everybody, but a score of plus 10 should equate to a actual score of even par. So if you shoot, if you have a plus 10, 15, five score, but you shoot three over par, well, you kind of know your ball striking wasn't the problem. It was your putting. Yep. Uh, Usually that's usually the case. Conversely, if you have a plus 10, um, 15, five score and you shoot, 68, 400 par, well, then you were really putting well. So mm. so that's a big thing also as well. Not only does it get you in the mindset and thinking about getting the ball close to the hole, but it also it also helps you measure kind of how well you were hitting the ball versus how well you were putting. Yeah, and uh, what I really liked about it is it didn't really add too much effort on your own behalf to actually add it to your scorecard, really, did it? It's just an extra number you put down. Yes, exactly. That's that's yeah. the big thing. Trying to make it easy for people. Yeah, uh, I, I like knowing some stats, and I like ease. So I'm a, I'm an Arcos user. Previous to that, I was using Game Golf. What do you th- What do you think about those sort of systems? Those tracking systems. I've only looked at them. I never used them. Uh, yep. I mean, I I like some of the things they do. I just think that there's a lot more that they could do and you know they're not cheap by any by any means you know what i think the golfing public really wants is just basically a system like shot tracker for the for the pga tour players yeah exactly on there but you know there's so many other possibilities that they could go into as far as possibly looking at things where they could plot on a golf hole like you know, kind of like a scatter plot of the golf hole where they could show here's where the typical, you know, 10 handicapper would go and here's what their score would be versus, you know, here's where the scratch golfer versus the tour play. Great minds think alike. I, um, I've sort of had a little bit of involvement with Arcos and speaking to the founder of Arcos at the, at the golf show in Orlando this year, it's the exact same thing I said. I said, it wouldn't be great. You've got all the data across all of your users, wouldn't it be great for you to be able to essentially have almost like a caddy, like an automated caddy for each hole based on all the data you're collecting? Because you'll certainly know that what the likelihood of making par is from a certain position on a hole or, you know, where you should be going to it to, to get the best result. And so it's something that, you know, they're collecting the data, so it should be easy for them to do. Well, not easy, but it it's certainly um, something that they can do. Yeah, and I mean, I like... I think game golf now has, it, it will show you like each club uh, yeah. where you're missing. So, you know, if I'm missing mostly to the right, which is pretty common for, for a right-handed golfer, but I'm missing my left, uh, my eight iron left, you know, it might, it might be a lie angle issue or one of the big things I'd really like to see, I wish the tour would tackle in itself, but I also think these other systems could is, hit fairway percentage on par fours versus par mm. fives. If you're hitting good drives on par fives, you'd be surprised at how much that dramatically lowers the score. I mean, I played a tournament last week and 
you know, I finished second, uh, one over par total, but I played the par fives one over and I only hit one decent drive on the par fives. So that kind of cost me the tournament. So. Yeah. What's, what's interesting for like looking at my own game is that lately, probably the last four rounds on par fives, I've played a bad second shot on just about every hole, uh, regardless of it being on the fairway or not. And thinking about why I was doing it, I think it was, it's almost like, uh, my mindset changes on a par five because I've got an extra shot. I generally will will get it close to the green with two reasonable strikes. So, but it seems that that, that what's happening is that I'm I'm relaxing um, for that second shot, and I'm not putting as much importance on that because I'm thinking, yeah, even if I don't play a good shot here, if, even if I top this shot, I'm going to have a short iron in into the green in regulation anyway. So it's it's interesting what the mind can do. Oh yeah. Yes, uh, you know, that's kind of one of the things I'm starting to get more involved with as far as my statistics, uh, how all this stuff plays in with the psychology of the game. Yep, yep. Uh, I think it's one of the biggest issues of laying up off the tee is that it starts to bring in a mentality of considering, you know, all the possible failure shots instead of, you know, if you're hitting drive, mm. you tend to think more about, where I want to hit it. And, you know, I've talked to Dr. Brent McCabe about this extensively and, you know, all the research that he's ever read or conducted shows extensively that if you got, you got to really focus on what you want to do instead of uh, what you're afraid of doing. So, yep. Fantastic. Well, Richie, this has been really great. As I said, I I thoroughly enjoyed the book and I I recommend that, uh, all our listeners go out and buy it. It's, it's ten dollars. And where can where can our listeners actually find out Pro Golf Synopsis, but also more about you as well? The best spot would probably go to my uh, Twitter handle, which is at Richie Three Jack. It's the number three. Or you can go to uh, just go on Google and type in uh, Pro Golf Synopsis, and yep. usually the links come up from there. Yeah, fantastic. We'll include all of those links on this post as well on the website. So, listener, thank you very much for tuning in. Richie, thank you very much for coming on. I've really enjoyed it. Well, thanks for having me, Jake. Hey, podcast listener, if you want to learn more about this podcast or access lots of other great golfing content, head across to huntingscratch.com. See you soon.